Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing tonight, today, whenever you listen to this? We've got a special guest today, bass playing extraordinaire, member of MathCore Greats, Dillinger Escape Plan, and current member of Rising Stars Azusa, Liam Wilson. Liam, how you doing? I never had it so good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> we love to give our guests the royal welcome. And listen, we're really happy to have you on the show. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'm grateful. Happy to be here. Awesome. So what's going on, man? How, how are you doing today? Uh, today is pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, most days right now, I'm primarily just parenting, uh, trying to, you know, keep up with the domestic responsibilities, a little bit of music stuff, uh, depending on how much is on my plate. Um, how many kids do you have? Uh, currently one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, she's five and a half. A uh, lot of energy, a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, I always admire parents because now I have nieces and nephews, and I would I would strategically visit two hours before they went to bed okay and then leave in the morning before they got up because i i just didn't have the energy to keep up it's so a lot to, to be a full-time parent to have a child now tommy's got three i don't yeah. know how you guys do it i i guess it just kind of i feel like the stamina builds up it, I, I guess you just kind of get ready it's always yeah. like pushing me to the edge of what i feel like i can handle whether it's emotional or patience wise or you know, yeah. um, I have an idea of what I'm going to do when she goes to bed and she doesn't go to bed and I have a deadline, you know, <laughs> um, but you know, the days are long, but the years are short and I'm really into, uh, the connection, you know, when, when Dillinger was, you know, she's five. So that kind of puts us at like the window between an album and then some, you know, some touring, and then I'd be home for like six, seven months and I could just, you know, be the stay at home dad. So I felt like I had this really good early connection with her. And That's then right. and then I disappeared for like two years. <laughs> and now I feel like I'm kind of, you know, not like backpedaling, but certainly like, you know, shoveling extra coal into that relationship. And right now it's paying dividends. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I... I uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and confusion, but I feel like my priorities are in order. That's great. So how how are you getting by during COVID? I mean, I, you know, you I'm assuming you're a full-time touring musician working in music. So what have you been doing while everything's on hold? Um, well, I mean, that's true uh, some of the time. But most of the stuff that I've been doing since Dillinger is kind of, you know, like a break-even endeavor. Yeah, um, you know, you mentioned Azusa, you know, the touring that I've done, the music that we've put out. Uh, it's at least break even, you know, not much more than that, maybe a little under, maybe a little over, you know, at certain times. 
Um, it's not really like we're doing it for the money necessarily. Yeah. Um, but not going broke doing it at least makes it. Um, that always makes it more fun. Well, and and like explainable to you know my family. You know, it's like this is why I'm going away for three weeks, or you know, you know, same same with John from another project that I did, and kind of anything else I pick up. So uh, I guess to go back to the question directly, I was supposed to be in Europe right now with Devin Townsend. That's oh. not happening. Um, yeah. So. You know, I'm I'm in a weird place because I haven't really been depending on music as my primary source. You know, after Dillinger, it was like I kind of needed to lick my wounds a little bit. I had a family. I was into that. Um, I had musical projects to satisfy me creatively in terms of like output um, in little breaks here and there. But I didn't really I wasn't really in the mood to like beat the street for nine months a year in a van again. That just right. Like, wasn't my vibe. I wanted like a little bit of victory lap and a little bit more like, you know, uh, privacy or something. Yes. I don't know. You know, I started, I dropped out of art school to do Dillinger. Uh, so I just reconnected with a lot of old friends and uh, was invited to work at a sculpture foundry, like a metal sculpture mm-hmm. foundry. So I was, you know, I don't, I, I know a lot about I think I know a lot about craft and like shop work, but mm-hmm. this was like a whole new environment. I didn't, you know, I kind of still don't know what I'm doing, but was welding and, uh, you know, bronze statues and sand casting. So that's awesome. I was busy doing stuff, um, you know, kind of like the most metal job I could possibly have. When, yeah, like it's literally yeah, a metal job. It's That's like beautiful. super, <laughs> super metal. Um, Tommy, Tommy, you used to do welding too, right? Didn't you just learn it on the job? Yeah, so uh, that was my summer job all the way through college. And my first four years of teaching, I, I worked for uh, the Department of Public Works. And like when you go to those, pu- like the public parks and they have yeah. those, uh, the grills that are set in the ground. Sure. That are, yeah. the, the, I, I made those. Amazing. So was that yeah. like uh, MIG welding? I'm assuming. So yeah, it was. It was all. Most of it was MIG. Um, okay. There was also some other stuff that I actually I was kind of the assistant on. Like this, they would do some of the TIG stuff. Yeah. Um, but they were mainly on like so part of Public Works is also maintaining the covered bridges. Um, and yeah. the covered bridges have those huge what they call bridge plates. They're the metal plate that leads up to the wooden portion. Okay. So they would bring those out there and uh, they would do like the stick welding on stuff like that. And okay. I honestly, uh, that stuff scares the daylights out of me. Yeah, I don't know uh, anything about stick. I I know I do a little bit of MIG, but mostly TIG. And you know, it's kind of interesting. It kind of reminds me a little bit of drumming, where you kind of have to have <laughs> this like, you know, you, you have, have your cadence. foot, you have your you know, and both hands kind of have to be doing this. Uh, little dance um yeah like once you learn how to set a pool and kind of drag it and start to kind of like get that cadence down it it works really it's especially if you're working with the same type of wire and the same type of metals that was the nice thing about welding with uh building the grills uh there was a template so it was literally just use the plasma cutter to cut the sections um just uh, oh yeah dude that actually i have a really I, i have a pretty gnarly scar on my leg from one and it went through um it was just slag that came off, and it went through my my apron, and it went through a pair of jeans, and right onto my uh, knee. So I have a pretty Ooh. gnarly one. Yeah. At the time, I was a I was a smoker, and the guy who taught me how to weld was a smoker. <laughs> so we would like kind of constantly keep each other in check of like, 
Are you going out to smoke? Okay, go outside the building. Close the door. Make sure that when you come in, all the embers are out. Like, it was very... We, we were trying to, like... You guys weren't, like, lighting cigs with the torch or anything? Oh, I used to do that. I did that with the... I, if I was working in the... So, I would, there was days where I was in the shop, and I would do stuff like... Um, you know, like they would replace mufflers and stuff like that, and I would just cut mufflers out or like that kind of stuff. I would, yeah, I would do it out in the yeah. <laughs> because you're also, I mean, it's a you can control on oxygen acetylene. You can control how the the what the flame looks like, so yeah. you, um you can have it at a relatively low like it kind of just looks like um you know, like a fire breather kind of thing coming out. It's just like a it's a you know it's not like a white hot bolt coming out of that thing like or like that like super like blue flame. It's you know it's just fire and you know I would always pack my cigarettes down really really heavy so like um you just had to get that end kind of lit where the paper was and then you could just take a big drag and you'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> that story actually kind of makes me want a cigarette but I I'm going to refrain from <laughs> for, for my own personal health. So <laughs> Liam, I'm I'm gonna take us back a little bit. Where okay. where did you grow up? Um, pretty much Phil- Delco, uh, just outside oh, okay. of Philadelphia. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could get really specific. Um, Let's get specific. Okay. I was born at Riddle Memorial Hospital. On oh, so you even know that? Okay, yeah. that's good. And then I lived in Broomall for a, like less than a year. Mm-hmm. Then Havertown near the Skadium. Yeah. And, you know, most of that time I was also living with my grandparents. My mom was pretty young and sick where, when mm-hmm. I was born, and it was just easier for me to be there. So Drexel Hill uh, was like another area I spent a lot of time in. Yeah. So And then Springfield, Delaware County is kind of where okay. I, I feel like I had like yeah. my most formative years. So was it pretty wild in Delco? Like, were you a wild kid or were you a quiet kid? Ah, uh, both. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel like I've ran around with a bunch of knuckleheads and I feel like my friends are knuckleheads, but it's, you know, but they're smart, you know? I, I don't yeah. know. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and I went to high school in North Philly and, you know, so I just kind of had exposure to things and I always kind of, You know, I never, like, I was never into things for, like, vandalism's sake or anything like that, but I was into, you know, like, graffiti. It was like, I wasn't into it for vandalism's sake, but I was into it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I love tagging and graffiti. I think it's an awesome art form. It's just not something I never, like, when people would, like, go, hey, we're, like, going out to go tagging, and it was, like some ridiculous walk they all came back the next day with poison ivy and like they left a right. ladder because somebody came out i was like bro this is not my scene like, like this is- <laughs> i mean i'm i'm into that for like the romance and like the standby meanness of it all yeah <laughs> you know like yeah. but you know so then i just, but at the same time i was kind of getting into things like bass and you know or i was i was getting into skateboarding but i realized i wasn't like that great at it yeah. yeah, and and didn't really love it, and kind of also realized I was just kind of like an insulated person, um, you know, kind of was like smoking weed, and just kind of wanted to sit at home and like play bass. Yes. Really, and, really quick, you went, you went, you went to high school in North Philly. Did you go to prep? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I went to I went to LaSalle. Okay. So we're mortal enemies, apparently. Oh, That's what I I've been so. taught my entire life. You guys sound like you have Tommy and Liam. You sound like you have similar stories. Tommy lost his uh, spleen in a skateboarding accident, so that kind of sidelined his skateboarding career. Yeah. Okay, 
Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Fe- I fell on a handrail uh, when I was 16 and ruptured my spleen. So uh, that keep in mind, like that was the era of like um, that's when like misled youth came out. And that's when like the big handrail, big stare, big gap things. Okay. And I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like this Hessian dude and just oh. barge huge shit. And what I realized very quickly is like you can do that. But there is a gigantic risk that goes along with it. And right. uh, I rolled an ankle in the course of like probably two years. I think I rolled it like six times. And after the sixth time, I remember being like, you know what? I remember coming home and I had to, I never even went to the doctors after like the third one. I remember putting my air cast on. I remember sitting upstairs. I took ibuprofen and I was like, is this worth it? And that's when I got really into just like. Uh, just yeah. manual tricks, manual pads, and gr- and like ledges. I was like, all right, I can do this. This is fun. Do you snowboard too? I did not snowboard, but now it's really funny. I have I have twin six year old girls, and my one daughter um, was watching me. I built a bench out in the driveway. Um, actually, when COVID started, I was like, well, we're gonna be home for a little while, and we really can't. They built a new skate park in Langhorn, so I was like, I want to go to the skate park, but you can't. It was all closed, so I was like, let's skate out in the driveway. So I built this box uh, and started skating it out front, and my daughter was just super hype on it. So um, I ordered her a board um, online, and she got it. And as soon as the skate park opened up, uh, because it was still – we were in that yellow phase. Yeah. Uh, it's an open-air skate park, but it's all concrete. So we were getting up at like – six together yeah. every morning okay. and, and we cool. would go to the skate park by like six thirty. um and literally i would sit on the bench with her and i would drink coffee and she would eat an eggo waffle and <laughs> we would bond over that and she is still super hype on it like even a few months later i thought this was one of those things that would fizzle out on but now like she's getting the idea of like she just she's starting to learn power slides now so now she's like learning to like really control the board and she's like I love this more than anything else in the world. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> this is- oh man. Yeah, I have a I have a friend that uh skates hard with his like I guess he started when he was like 5 if not earlier. Um but this this little kid, man, he just thrashes so much harder than I ever did and <laughs> it's just so cool to watch. Um you know, but but I was into snowboarding and and kind of in a similar way like I just kind of wanted to carve big powder give me like a back bowl somewhere if i could get there and that was heaven to me i didn't really care about half pipes and yeah i I feel like that's the same about my bass playing like (laughs) (laughs) i'll learn it but like i just kind of want to carve big baseline bowls you know i always i always thought about like the people that did like half pipe especially when it got to that like olympic level i was like oh this seems kind of corny like it's more like gymnastics it's just a lot of kind of like a expression of like what i like this is that sure. skate like you know it got like hey they're doing a 1080 rodeo flip and i was like oh fuck this like I'm right not. i just <laughs> i don't i don't appreciate the difference in detail at a certain level like i it's just not uh, i mean i i honor it and i'm glad it exists you know um uh, but yeah i kind of there's a certain certain layer of it that just goes completely over my head so what was your discovery of the scene, Liam? Did you come in with enjoying metal, hardcore? Uh, I mean, a little bit of everything. I think by yeah. the time I was like getting into bands, so I'm going to say I was starting to play in bands in like 95. Mm-hmm. Like 15, 16 is when I started playing in bands that would like play shows or like get yeah. out of state. 
And that was kind of like crossover bands, you know, and kind of a, a little like Philly and Jer- and South Jersey kind of all had this like sort of thuggish, mean, like hard music, you know. Oh, so yeah. there was like a little <laughs> bit of that like beat downness to it, but like, but with good breakdowns, like it was, you know. Like lots of jerseys those, at those shows. Lots of uh, lots of basketball. Lots of basketball jerseys. Sure, at those types of, of shows. course. <laughs> you know, especially at that time. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, like coming up when like VOD was like just getting signed. Oh yeah. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, I would go see like some local shows, and it's funny. Like the people I met at like the weirdest, most Delco local shows that are still kind of around now. Yeah. And then like shows at the First Unitarian Church, the Stalag. Um, you know, uh, CCs in music. Oh yeah, yes, um, I remember that place. Yeah. Out in you the know, middle some, of nowhere, that place, dude. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was, uh, but it was like just enough to get there and back in a night if you had to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, just kind of some of the other like Central Jersey stuff, New Brunswick stuff. Um, you know, I don't know if that's kind of answering your question. I know you had Pat on here, and I remember like all else failed was like one of the first bands I ever saw like a local band CD in like a local mom and pop music shop. Oh, wow. And was like, Whoa, like, you know, I had gone away to this like kind of like band camp type thing in Connecticut, like a guitar workshop. Mm -hmm. And while I was up there, that's when I got exposed to like earth crisis Snapcase. Um, you know, I kind of knew like life of agony. Yeah. It was like maybe my like, gateway drug or something and then uh i came back with like some of that stuff and um like an over the edge comp and some other like connecticut stuff like with overcast and converge and like but like early um and you know so that was kind of when it was all like sparkling for me uh i don't don't know if that directly answers the question or just kind of was like wandering Absolutely. No, it does. And yeah, I came in during like the reign of the three C's, like Converge, Caven, Colesque, and all that stuff. Snapcase, I got into Inside Out, Hatebreed, Dillinger Escape Plan, a foundational band for me in the early days of hardcore. I mean, but- I went to see Dillinger, or when I went to see Coles at the Stalag is when I saw Dillinger for the first time. So I went to see Coles, and my friends are like, oh, you should get here early. I think you'd like Dillinger. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Now here's a question: Did you like them at that show? Yeah, I mean, I was immediately like, just yeah. I mean, something happened at that show, and it it it. Looking back in hindsight, there's no um. To me, there's no. Uh, I don't want to say luck or say it was just very. I I knew something was different immediately. There was like that love at first sight, but in a more connected way. You know, so there's like you, you hear your favorite band and then there's something else that just happens where I was just like, I don't even know what just happened, but my life is different. Yes. <laughs> so then the steps that, you know, you know, it's and it's super weird to process that, you know, a lot of my fortune is because of somebody else's incredible misfortune, you know, so just kind of all of it just seems super weird to me. Yeah, you know, I had the same experience seeing Dillinger. I'd been to one local show, and then we went to this big show at Middlesex County College. Dillinger was playing. I had no idea who they were. I'd never heard them. I had no idea what to expect. I'm standing up front completely, totally unprepared, and and I was almost killed, and it was was terrifying, 
and I was and I was hooked immediately afterwards. And and Dillinger was my favorite band for like years. Sure, afterwards. I mean, I was just yeah, my mind was kind of blown. Um, yeah. I I find it really amusing too when I look at old Dillinger sh- or like somebody will post an old Dillinger show on YouTube. Yeah, and I can like find myself in the crowd if it's like within. 30 miles of Philly after a certain time. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a video floating around on YouTube of Dillinger playing um, this place in Warminster called Auto Styling Incorporated. And like an auto body shop? It is an auto body shop, yeah. exactly. And um, it, it, they, I guess, I, I remember, uh, so I, I grew up with Anthony uh, from Circus Survive. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. He's, he sent me the video and he goes, hey, did you see the video? You and I are standing in the middle. And I was like, I can't find me. I, I kind of like skimmed through the video at first and he's like, asshole. And he just sent me the thumbnail of the video. He's like, you're in the thumbnail, stupid. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, sh-. I, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, how did I miss that? And there's a part um, about two or three minutes in, Ben comes right up into my face and put, puts his guitar almost completely behind his back and screams in my face. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to move back a little bit. <laughs> There's a good chance I'm in that video too, and I, I'm pretty sure I know the one you're talking about. Look at that—the the webs we weave in the northeast scene are just immeasurable. <laughs> I love it. It is all this weird, like little interconnected stuff that when we start talking about it, there's so many people that are like, "I was there." Oh yeah. Well, because there really wasn't—I mean, if Converge played in like Central Jersey, anybody who could drive there was going to be there. Yes. Um, absolutely. So, you know, or maybe at two shows, like I saw Coles. And I think it was like one of God Forbid's first shows. Oh, wow. Um, and it was like Coles and I forget who else was on that. And then the next night, Coles played at the Stalag. And I almost didn't go. I was like, oh, I saw him last night. And my friends were like, oh, you got to go see Dillinger. Yeah. Okay. Like, I walked out like Coles who? Um, you know, <laughs> not quite like that, but yeah, I, I definitely. So Tommy was peeking around online. Were you in Burnside? I was in Burnside. Yes. Wow, I I remember them from back in the day. I, I know I remember shit was always going to go down at a Burnside show. Yeah, I missed most of that stuff. I, again, I was probably at some of the shows just as a spectator, or my first band was called For Life. Okay. Um, oh yeah. Okay. So I was in that band for like a hot minute. I shouldn't say hot. It, it it was a hot minute, and then Burnside for a little bit. But like by that point, I don't think I played more than like five shows with Burnside, six shows with Burnside. Um, you know, we tried to write some stuff. It was kind of, you know, them trying to keep it together. Yes, and just, uh, yeah, things were just getting complicated. And, and that was kind of around the same time where I started playing with Starkweather. The Dillinger rumor kind of started stirring, like, oh, if I can, you know, if the, if the stars align right, this is my gig. Yeah. Kind of had to wrap up school and some other you know life ends yeah so how how does it come together joining dillinger escape plan like how did it transpire and who how did it all transpire okay. um jim winners is a do you know jim winners yes okay so he i used to work at rock and roll plus on south street no way. I you were probably working when I would come in there all the time to buy records and, you know, talk to whoever was behind the counter. Yeah, this would be like 98 90, 98 through 99, 97 yep. through 99. That was my era. Okay. Maybe even 2000. I worked there. I met Jim Winners there. I was um 
you know, also listening to Starkweather one day and Rennie from Starkweather walked in and I was a big fan of Starkweather and the lyrics and everything. And uh, he was like, oh, what's new? What's good? And I, I was kind of just trying to probe around and find what he liked. And he was like, oh, this is my band. So, you know, that kicked off another friendship. So between the two of them, I kind of met a lot of people really quickly. You know, sort of like the the layer up, the like the scene people that were like 10 years and up, you know, kind of just quickly educated me <laughs> or mentored me a little bit, I guess. Right. Uh, or a lot of it, to be honest. Rennie asked me to join Starkweather. You know, that was kind of like another weird, like this is just, you know, I, I don't know, so, tr- stranger than fiction. Yeah. Um, and and then Jim Winters around the same time joined Starkweather as well, and Dillinger had asked Jim to play bass because Jim had played bass on the Believer record, and they were fans of other stuff that he had done. And you know he's a he's a good player. He's a he's a you know looks good on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was like, listen, I, I'm mostly like a guitar dude, and yeah. you know I I could play bass, but I kind of I think I know somebody who would you know froth for it (laughs) or be a little bit like thirstier so jim comes into rock and roll plus one day gives me ben's number you know on like Mm -hmm. a piece of paper it was like that kind of era and uh i wish i still had it maybe i do um so i i was just like i'm not gonna call him you know i knew dillinger was kind of playing somewhere nearby i'm not even sure where jim had seen them uh but i was like i'll just wait you know, and I think they got my number two. So then I waited until they came to Philly. They played the first Unitarian Church. Uh, I had met them briefly at like Paperweight Fest in New Jersey. Um, I so I think that was like one of ISIS's first shows. So anyway, I kind of knew them a little bit, and like my name sort of stuck out a little bit. I think because there was like a a, a a little bit of familiarity when we officially met. So anyway, I get in the back of one of their cars and they're listening to like one of the first mixes of calculating. And maybe we were like halfway through, uh, 43 when I got in, I don't know. We were somewhere like not quite at the beginning. And I just remember like just sitting there and just kind of keeping my mouth shut and letting them try to do the talking. But, uh, you know, and just listening really, we weren't like talking business or anything. And I just said, like, yeah, it sounds like Radiohead and Cynic. And I think they were just like, whoa, okay, like he kind of gets something. Or he smells what we're stepping in a little bit. (laughs) So, you know, that kind of just kept the buzz and the bug in our ears. I, you know, stayed in touch with them. They were doing a lot of touring and, like, building up to the calculating stuff, doing the bungle tour. I just kept in touch. Anytime they were nearby, I went. Um, I think once or twice I even kind of roadied with them up to like a show in Boston or, you know, something like that. And just, you know, just hung out as much as I could without seeming like the weirdo, you know, and making Jeff seem, you know, like, who the fuck is this dude? Uh, (laughs) Which he probably was and maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Uh, Jeff's been a good sport about the whole thing. Uh, Jeff always just seemed to kind of be doing his thing. Jeff Wood, I'm referencing. He was a live bass player for Dillinger Escape Plan. Uh, that just kind of kept going. I didn't really know what was happening. Not a lot of communication. I would drive up. I'd learn like three songs. I'd come home. I wouldn't hear anything for a couple months. I'd drive up. I'd learn like two more songs. I'd hang out a lot more than I'd jam, which was fine to get to know them. 
So now let, let me ask a question. Yeah. You drive to meet the band live, and you're you're playing bass with them live to learn the songs. No, 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 no. I would just go and hang out. I see. Like just kind of as like roadie, and just to yeah. kind of be like part of the interview is like, can this dude hang? This dude like a liability, you know? Um, you know, just a way to get for me to kind of blend in. Well, also, you're going to have to spend an enormous amount of time with sure. this pe- these people. Dude, that's, like, what, that's what people don't get. Like, being in a band is not just, like, can you shred? Right. You know, or, like, do you have connections? It's like, I'm on stage with you, especially at that time. I'm on stage with you for, like, 35 minutes, and mm-hmm. I got to hang out with you for 24 hours. Yeah. Are you cool or not? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, who cares if you shred if you're a turd of a human? So, you know, I think that was a big part of it. And especially at that time, it was great. I was young and could do it. So, you know, anyway, fast forward a little bit. There was like really like stop start education process. And I was just home trying to to like shed as much as possible because it was like a totally new vocabulary. Uh, I didn't have the best like practicing systems for stuff that was that fast. It's like I didn't really I couldn't really slow it down. And I was trying to learn how to play with a pick, too, because I'd never played with a pick. Yeah. Or, or very little. Um, now, how how on earth do you even learn those songs? This there's a recurring theme on the show where I have a nightmare that, you know, it's it's right before the show and the band is like, "You're going on, you come, you're coming on, you got to learn, you got to learn the songs, you got to play now." I mean, I still uh, have those nightmares. <laughs> yeah, and and the ultimate nightmare would be that dream, but with Dillinger Escape Plan, because I w- I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, there was a little bit of that reality. Uh, which, you know, trying to uh, race through as quickly as possible where I don't hear much from them. And then in February, I get a call from Ben and he's like, hey, how you doing? How's the, you know, practicing going? You feel good about the songs? Okay, cool, cool. Uh, What are you doing tomorrow? Um, And it was Valentine's Day. I was like, I don't know. I was just going to like, you know, go out to dinner with my girlfriend or something. (laughs) Uh, And I'll see you in Philly the next day because you're playing, you know, the, the... the uh, kill time, which is next to the Stalag. And yes. So uh, he was like, well, why don't you come to New York? We're playing CBs. Jeff has to go to a funeral. If you only know like four or five songs, that's cool. Just play what you know. Wow. And I was just like, huh? Like that's a lot of trust and faith. And they're like, yeah, just get to Jersey tomorrow. We'll rehearse real quick. And then we'll hop in the van. So I get up there when I'm up, by the time I get there, there are, the van is already packed. They're like, okay, let's go. My okay, <laughs> so um, you know, and to me, this is like the biggest thing ever. You know, that Dillinger is like, I, I may as well be playing Wembley Stadium. I'm playing, you know, I'm headlining CBs or something. And absolutely. Uh, so I remember just playing, and uh, I think there's even a video that just popped up on YouTube, with, which is great. Like, there's some real like rookie card shit out there now. <laughs> um, you know, some uh, so you know, it's some awkward shit, but. You know, it's because I just didn't really, I hadn't rehearsed this stuff with them in like months and Mm -hmm. played pretty well. Like I didn't know the middle of 43 yet, that kind of like Robert Fritty. Yeah, I I didn't, I wasn't taught that yet. So I'm just like improvising some weird things and trying to just land, you know, and take a cue from Chris, like where that part ends and, you know, and then just kind of being on the sidelines and being like, oh, wait, I know the middle of Destro. So I'd like turn up and just play like the middle of the song and then turn back <laughs> down because I didn't know the like crazy rhythms. So. Uh, so, yeah, it was a lot of trial by fire. And then I played uh, Kill Time the next night 
And then again, like that was February. I didn't hear anything, you know, or very little communication until like August. Wow. And I was just like, oh, I blew it. You know, yeah. like, um, you know, but they're like, no, no, it's cool. It's cool. Drop out of school and like quit your job. We're going on tour. And I'm like, okay. Wow. Uh, so it was like a big leap of faith and, you know, but it all worked out, obviously. And, yeah. Uh, but that's kind of like the earliest, you know, explosion. You know, so then at by like August, it was like, okay, you're coming to Europe with this. I did like a quick Misfits, uh, Murphy's Law run down the East Coast. And then by like Halloween, we were in Europe for the first time. You had to quit a job. You had drop to drop out of, out of school. school. I wasn't old right. enough to drink here, but I could drink there. It was amazing. Oh, man, that's really, good. Really quick, with, with learning songs like that, um, you, you obviously have a background. Like you have a pretty good background in theory. Uh, sort of. You're assuming okay. a lot. <laughs> well, I just assume, like, when you say, like, you know, you played in school and, like, you, you're a finger, you know, you played mainly finger style. Yeah, I assume, I, like, you have some type of, like, you, you can. You I know, care you, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not a hack with it, but I'm certainly not like. I figured you were like a a theory expert because I saw on your Instagram one time there was just this note page of like all these notes and tabs and it looked really complicated and i was like oh he must be a musical genius you're telling us that's not the case no that's it you know if you look closely that's my chicken scratch and like hack notes and shorthand arrows pointing here and scribblings and like i don't even know my own songs kind of (laughs) factory (laughs) this is even more revealing uh, I need notes like that because of how my brain can be just a complete sieve sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but when you're communicating with the other guys, are they being, are, are they very theory based and they're like, Hey, yeah, no, this is actually make sure that your, your root is this and the diminished no, fifth is that. Uh, and it's like, no, it's nothing like that. It was very okay. like, you know, we definitely had our own thing. We knew what worked. We knew what sounded awkward. And yeah, I mean, there was a lot of trust in Dillinger. Uh, and Steve Evitz was always the gatekeeper. Like he was great with like kind of keeping us on brand, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I think we all kind of like understood the vocabulary. And then I, I also believe that once you're in a band for a certain amount of time, there's just kind of like that extra member, like that muse that just sort of just keeps feeding everything through you. Okay. Yeah. You kind of just sort of know what to do and you're just chasing it a little bit and you have to like rehearse like. Like you're playing Zelda and you got to kill a bunch of like little demons and stuff so you can save up for the silver sword or something. You know, you got to get right. enough hit points or something to get to the next level. So you're sitting in your room and you're just shedding like this 25 seconds of music for two weeks. Yeah. Gotcha. So there's a lot of work that goes into it. You don't just show up and you're like, okay, this is it. You got to, you got to put in the time. Yeah. It's a lot of insect dentistry. It, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm good at it or I enjoy and I understand what it takes to get to where I need to be. Um, You know, it means that I have a lot of blind spots too because I'm like so rehearsed. And some Mm -hmm. of it sounds like when we were talking about, you know, the half pipe or something, it's like it's not necessarily like an Olympic sport where I'm like going for big air and many spins. But like there is like a degree of precision that makes me feel like it is Olympic or like extreme sports. I'm trying to play at a certain speed. You know, but even that, like the older I get and the more I play, the more I'm just like, please don't make me do that. It doesn't even sound good on bass. 
<laughs> you know, like even if I get it perfect, it doesn't usually sound that great. I should just play halftime. Yeah. How does it work at practice? How did it work at practice? Would you would like someone show up with a riff and you play it? Slow practice. First? We're talking about practice. <laughs> practice. Talk about the game. Um, di- I know. I mean, I joke, but like Dillinger, we like admittedly didn't rehearse all that much. Um, really? No, it was like maybe like one or two rehearsals before some big tours and then like you just kind of show up ready and then because there's really nothing that's going to prepare you for like the first two shows Mm -hmm. you know which have they're always going to have like a little bit of ring rust even if you like train hard you know like i for me it was like i would go to yoga a lot at one time i was running a lot um you know when i had the time to not really work a day job between tours or like where I could make my own schedule or something, I would, you know, just try to stay as fit as I could on my instrument and in general, and just trust that two shows in, it's going to click because it always mm-hmm. does. You know, the first show is just going to be like a lot of like piss and vinegar, but it's going to have ring, you know, ring rust. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Um, so I mean, but we would rehearse. We would typically rehearse in Jersey. Um, Sometimes at Ben's basement, we'd all just kind of like fly there and camp out at his house for a day or two mm-hmm. uh, or drive there in my case. So what was the first release you appeared on? Was it Irony is a Dead Scene? Yeah. Uh, or, or or like the re-release of the first demo with some live tracks. I'm not sure which one actually landed first, but yeah, there was, um, though it was, you know, I, I think the Irony is a Dead Scene is probably the the one I should Hit my hat to, yeah. or like <laughs> lay claim to. So that yeah, now that's just classic. I remember now Dillinger was my favorite band at the time. So hearing that Dimitri was leaving was just crazy news, and I was like, "What's going to happen? Who are they going to get?" And you know, this this EP is one I come back to a lot. I around 2017, I went back and like dug up a lot of old music that I listened to that I haven't heard in a long time, and this EP was one of them, and it's just phenomenal. And I was like, man, I wish I could have seen this live. Like, I wish I could have seen, like, Mike Patton do this live. I know they did it at some point. Too late, I guess. And not even, like, a couple months later, my friend texts me, and he's like, hey, you want to go to Dillinger's last show? Right. Uh, Mike, Pat- Mike Patton's going to do this one night, and, and uh, they're playing that. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so it was perfect timing. Did you make it? Oh yeah, I was okay, there. Okay, great, cool. But yeah, so how how was it recording that? I mean, was was there ever talk of of Mike Patton becoming a permanent fixture, or was it just no, he's in it for this, and then we're moving on to the next thing? I mean, I think I don't know how everybody else thought, but I, I guess it kind of crossed my mind at one point, like you know, what if Mike Patton was yeah. this new singer of the band I just joined, like forever? <laughs> um you know i mean i mean i was like 19 years old when this shit is happening so oh, wow. 19 20 years old i've re- like i well i joined dillinger i was 20 when i like actually joined so yeah i was like 20 21 wow when all this is uh transpiring so you know i'm just like young and naive and and faith no more was a huge deal for me and so I think, of course, it crossed my mind and maybe other people's minds, but I don't think it ever really made sense. I think just as quickly it was easy to recognize that, like, I don't want to become, like, the tomahawk, the th- like, the thing yeah. that he half-asses. Not because it's, 
not because he's a jerk or something or like some egomaniac, but just like why would he? Yeah. We right. we want somebody like thirsty. And we also kind of want like the next dude like him. Yeah, I think that's the way to go cuz you don't want it you don't want it to be another project of someone established already. You want yeah. it to be your own thing. You got to go to like the next Yeah, we had a lot thing. of life left in us. So it Yes. It just didn't seem to make sense. It was only the beginning. So now we're moving into Irony is a dead scene from Miss Machine. We find Greg, our new singer. How how did you feel about it? Were you were you worried about how it would be received? Were you excited about it? Sure, I was. I was really up in my head about it. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't. I didn't really think. At least in some ways, like there was a lot of things that. Um, you know, I I had a certain thing in my mind's eye of what our singer would look like and sound like and act like and. Um, you know, there was definitely something about Greg when I first met him. Greg, like, drove to Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. and then Greg and I drove up to New Brunswick. I, no, actually, I think that Greg and I drove the whole way, uh, from Philadelphia to, like, Dover, and, like, met everybody else there. So we had, like, two hours in the car together. Oh, nice. Driving up, and then, like, two hours driving home. So we had, like, a good connection but it was still like really like weird. But I do remember him saying, um, you know, like right before we pulled into the parking lot, I'm like, how do you feel? Or, you know, something like, you ready? And he was like, oh, dude, I, I'm the dude. I'm just here to like show you. <laughs> and wow. uh, and I, at the time I was just kind of like, who the fuck is this dude? You know, I'm like, yeah. like not sure if I liked, like loved or hate. Is that a bug or a feature? What, what's happening here? Um, you know, and, and, I think Greg and I would both admit that like we didn't totally click at first and then mm-hmm. right around like when we drove from Philly to California to do the Ironworks record I felt like we really we had like four or five days to ourselves just to like you know be complete fanboys over Metallica and everything else you know that we were yeah. into and the record we were about to record and um you know just like raging out about you know everything we just felt like a real kind of tight bond same with ben and everybody it was like chris quit and we're gonna do this yes uh you know, very like victorious thing i, mean, I kind of skipped over miss machine there but uh, oh no that's okay yeah, yeah i mean it must have been scary i think the only bands it's 16 point... today by the way what's that this machine is 16 today by the way oh today? my gosh today's the anniversary holy shit See how the universe aligns for us time and time again, Tommy? I <laughs> love does. that. This is beautiful. Well, happy 16th birthday to that record. There's sure. some real yeah. classics on that for sure. And Club Yeah, bangers. I mean, at that point, I think the only bands to, who managed to switch singers and pull it off and be successful were like Van Halen and Kill Switch Engage. So yeah. you, guys, you guys are the third. It's only those three. Black Sabbath? Maybe? Oh, oh yeah. Well, well, I see. No, I, I, there's there's albums I prefer. Iomi Sabbath, like for sure. Like there's there's a handful. Like that's the thing is like Sabbath is one of those ones that I can go either way with. Like obviously, like you know, Ozzy stuff is classic, but there's there's some of the other stuff where I'm like, eh, I, I Dio's good, man. Like there's some really good Dio stuff too. I don't I I don't want to take anything away from it, but yeah. Or you know, then and this is kind of a more fringe conversation but you look at like iron maiden or faith no more and their original singer you know 
isn't the guy you think of. Really? Nice. Wait, hold on. Iron Maiden? So Bruce yeah, Dickinson's not the original singer? No. Well, fuck. I got to do something. No, I don't mean it's. I don't. I shouldn't sound like that. Like. <laughs> no, no, I'm, te- I I'm telling you as if you forgot, not like you didn't. Know. <laughs> no, I never knew. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think I've ever heard Iron Maiden. I, oh. I'm not. I'm admittedly oh. not up on the classics and not you on a would lot of probably, models, especially. I think if I played you like three songs, you'd be like, "Oh right, maybe this." Yeah, yeah the big one they used to play familiar. on the radio. Run, like run M- for the hills. Run, for yeah. the, yeah. run yeah. to the hills was huge. On like MMR used to play it fairly often. Like, yeah, yeah. they're almost like football songs, like something you yeah. would hear, like just <laughs> like in a commercial or something. It's almost at that level at this point. I, I saw them. JD JD Foster was the drummer in a band that I used to be in, and uh, he he won tickets from ninety four WYSP for it was two days in a row, and it was um, I think it was at that time called the Tweeter Center over in Camden. Yeah. yeah. And one day was like uh, I think it was Poison and Motley Crue, and then the next day was Iron Maiden and. Queensryche, I think. Oh, yeah. and, and I remember going and being like, holy shit. First of all, the merch that fucking Iron Maiden sells, because oh, like, I God. guess they sponsor um, a soccer team somewhere, yeah. and they have soccer jerseys. They were $115, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I guess I'm not leaving with, this, with any Maiden yeah. shit today. <laughs> I've never seen Maiden. That's like one of the ones on my list of like, I, I, I won't necessarily run out of my way to do it but i just haven't seen them yet they had a zip line on stage i remember that sure it'd be pretty cool i don't know anybody who's been disappointed <laughs> you know my, i was on a tour before my friend showed me this live cd of uh oh yeah a live iron maiden cd and it looked like i don't know it just looked like the beach or something just just mass of stuff and my friend's like look closer and i was like what and he's like that's the audience and i was like uh. what those are pe- that's like the giantest yeah. crowd I've ever seen. Like it was. Those are ga- each of those is a galaxy, man. <laughs> <laughs> Grains of sand, man. <laughs> this was taken with the Hubble Space Telescope pointed at the darkest spot in the, the Iron Maiden crowd. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the new era of Dillinger. We've got Greg. We've got Liam. We've got everyone. We're doing it. Now the live shows are taken to new heights. I, I remember reading stories about like defecating and fires and just like all kinds of crap. And Guilty as charged? Yeah. <laughs> now, did anything ever like really bad happen as a result of the antics? Um, lots of threats. I mean, people definitely got hurt. Um, yeah. You know, sorry to anybody who... <laughs> Feels like they're owed an apology. Um, yeah, I mean, things were a little unhinged at times. And, yeah. you know, we you, you, I don't really think you make music that sounds like that if you're not a sort of, you know, frustrated, uh, temperamental person in Absolutely. some ways. Um, I, I think that Dillinger served as anger management in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, th- things got... Things got rowdy. I don't think we ever got like really stopped, you know, and I, nothing ever publicly came out about us being, you know, really facing anything like that. I think that's uh, good. 
You know, I think our shows were kind of also like enter your own risk. I think most promoters and fans kind of understood that. And some people get hurt and they're just like, yo, I got this battle scar. Yeah. Well, we had a, a friend on the show real quick to tell a story about going to your last show. And he said like, yeah, like I'm going and whatever happens, happens. And that's it. It's just kind of accepted. That's. I mean, in some ways, I love that. It kind of makes it this like tribal rite of passage. If you can... Um, you know, process something or, or exercise some demon or invite some spirit into your life through our music and our shows, then I think that's probably the best offering you could give to it. Absolutely. And hardcore music in general is like that for me, and Dillinger especially, just, just the raw, pure energy. You know, I've, I've been in one hardcore band in my life, and I, I would go so nuts, like, that I wasn't even really effectively playing the music. <laughs> sure, <laughs> which yeah. Is, which High is energy, some... low accuracy. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I would play really bad, and I was the only guitar player, too, so I had to be on point. So I would play really bad, and I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, guys, and they'd be like, what are you talking about? That was awesome. And I'd be like, all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think there was definitely that. You know, I definitely had a lot of times and years and shows and songs that were just like this has always kind of been a mess you know and then at some point it just clicks you know i i i don't think i really got the playing a pick thing until after i recorded miss machine you know, i think oh, like wow. ireworks is when i really felt like oh, okay i think i i i have like my way here yeah um, or i kind of have this under control now how does it work for bass? Do you have to use a lot of different tunings, or can you stay in one or two tunings and, and capture it all? Pretty much all E standard. Really? I think, I think we have maybe uh, you know, five songs in a drop D, and there were like maybe two or three songs where I played with a drop B. Or I'm not a drop B, but I played like B-E-A-D tuning um, just to get like some low notes just for... Know some textures. Most of that's on on the dissociation record. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, pretty much everything was E. I didn't have to do. I mean, we were like, we would break so much shit, and our shows were so chaotic that like, we had to kind of keep some things really simple. Um, you know, if something broke, we needed somebody to, else to be able to help us fix it. So it had to be like idiot proof and like. You know, we didn't want anybody to have to... If some kid wanted to tune our guitar in the crowd, like, what are they going to tune it to? They're going to tune it to E. They're not even going to think about it. Yeah. So it, it really had to be that, you know, you think we're like theory nerds. It's like, no, we just kind of took as many variables out as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like kind of caveman in that way. There wasn't really... Yeah, there wasn't a lot of finesse. No, and you know what? There didn't need to be because no one goes to a Dillinger show for finesse. Yeah, I mean, that might be on the recordings, but it's definitely not what you go to the show for. Was anyone ever, like, hesitant to sponsor you equipment-wise? Because they're like, these guys are just going to bust it up. Um, I mean, I'm sure some of them weren't prepared for exactly what it was going to be, but I think that was more Ben's problem. I only broke a few things. I'm not, like, I'm not the smash, sh you know, my stuff dude. Me either, Um yeah. You know, and not to say that I haven't, like, I can remember one time getting furious at an ESP bass, like, yeah. literally furious at the heart of the bass. Like, I took, I took everything about that bass and how it failed me so personally. Yeah. And I just went for it. And it felt so good. <laughs> so I understand there's a place for that. And, like, there's freedom and loss. Um, yeah. 
and but yeah i mean i i you know and i've i've kind of shattered some things and put them back together uh but yeah i mean instrument makers they i think they're surprised how much i send them back for like little things or how beat up my stuff looks mm-hmm. after a short period of time but i think then uh you know my bases accelerate to like the mojo spot pretty quickly um it doesn't take too many dillinger tours to like break a good bass in i imagine not no because <laughs> if it doesn't last it's just like okay you know i i I'm sponsored now by this company Zahn and the stuff is just like you can't kill it. I call my base the roach because you just cannot kill this thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, I it's almost like I can put it away in the case broken and I open it the next day and like something magical happens and it's like back together and in tune. But no, it like never goes out of tune. It's like a it's uh from another planet, I think. We know people came and went from the band over the years. Did you find it difficult to introduce new members? Like, I remember when reading this interview with Ben a long time ago, like, one of the drummers left, and, you know, he was just tired of people leaving, so he learned drum drum programming just on the spot to be able to do it himself. Was it hard, like, to find the right people? You know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't sound like the easiest band in, in the world to join, based on no. the complex nature of the music alone. Yeah, I mean, I think one benefit of the way the band would proceed is almost everybody in the band had been in the position of the new guy at some time. Mm-hmm. So maybe not on that instrument, but I can remember like, hey, man, like, uh, you know, I remember when it was like this. So, you know, go easy on yourself here, but you could probably turn it up here. And I'm sure this is what's going to be expected of you in this way. I'm just giving you some friendly, constructive advice. Um, let's make this rad. So, yeah. uh, there was, you know, a decent amount of, um, flexibility, uh, and you kind of, you don't ask somebody who can't do it. Yeah. You know, when you get to that point, you just kind of make it work. Like everybody had their strengths and their weaknesses. Um, and you know, and that could be like somebody's awesome on stage, difficult off stage, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was challenging, but I think like, we all wanted it to work. So we all like worked as hard as we needed to, to make it work. And, you know, and sometimes certain relationships, like, you know, like I said, with Greg and I, it took like, you know, at least three or four years for us to like really click in a, in a deeper way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt like, you know, I connected with Billy pretty, pretty early, but I can remember other times where I felt like, Oh man, we just like dropped into a new level of friendship here. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's just like us having spent enough time together, or like a certain level of maturity and things happening in our lives individually, we're still here together. And wow, you know, and even even since, you know, I talked to everybody in the band on at, at some point, pretty much, mm-hmm. um, including old members. Yeah. And that's the thing with with bands. You're together for a number of years. It's it's a relationship in a sense. Yeah, I know we, that's a cliche and a lot of people say it, but relationships have ups and downs you know sometimes you don't like each other sometimes you reach new heights sometimes it goes back down that's all part of the process yeah i mean it's a brotherhood we dug some trenches together you know i love all of them um Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it it was difficult but it's also like you know i i like i said earlier like i joined when i was like 20 that's incredible like i hadn't i didn't even join my first band until i was like 24 i think and 20 years old, right out of the box, boom, Dillinger Escape Plan. You know, but it was, and it was and wasn't 
what it is now then. But yes. I think I knew it was. And right. to me it was. So, um, but, you know, point being, like, I, a lot of, like, my impression of Ben was maybe cast when he was, like, 24. And mm-hmm. his impression of me was cast when I was, like, 20. And now we're, like, 40. So <laughs> things are very different. And, like, of course there's certain aspects of my personality that will, like, go with me to the grave. Mm-hmm. But there's other things about us and, like, things that, like, you know, I cared a lot about then that I don't care about now and vice versa. And, yeah. um, you know, so it was, like, it was difficult because we all, like, cared about it so much mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, expressed that in so many, like, different ways. So you were, you guys were able to live solely off the band, right? I remember reading another interview where you said, you know, you wouldn't get tour buses and you would kind of keep it just to you guys and do as much stuff by yourselves as possible so you would be able to live off of the band. That wasn't wasn't true and wasn't uh, wasn't true for everybody at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, certain people were like, you know, living in situations where they didn't have to pay rent or, um, you know, had a lower overhead. Mm-hmm. Like I pretty much always had a day job or some kind of side hustle through like at least 2010. Okay. Uh, I remember working one night at Union Transfer. Like I worked with R5 at a lot of the R5 shows. That was like pretty fun gig, hard work, but fun gig. Yeah. Uh, but I ended up like opening Union Transfer with a lot of those people. And uh, at one night I was working the box office. Dillinger tickets were on sale for Dillinger show there in the future. And I was selling <laughs> tickets to Dillinger shows and to people. And it was just like the weirdest transaction ever. Um, that's so funny (laughs) and i just kind of had this like funny moment of like i like just feel like i should be at home uh like playing bass (laughs) or not playing bass you know and just kind of like just doing something else i don't really i i enjoy this but i don't like need to be doing this right now yeah um so you know i just kind of like working and i'm just like a busy body yeah Uh, uh other people yeah we're like you know, living off of Dillinger at a different pace, you know, and I also was kind of like living in Philadelphia and was like, I want to buy a house, you know, like as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to pay rent when I was going to be on tour that much, right. but I didn't necessarily want to leave Philadelphia and moving back home wasn't really an option or a goal. <laughs> so um, I, uh, yeah, so I just kind of did it a little differently, but yeah, I mean, that's... It, I would say at least by like Ironworks-ish era, it was mostly Dillinger. Okay. Do you still live in Philly? I I had heard you bought a house there like, I don't know, 12 years ago when I was still living there. Yeah, I I bought a house in Fishtown in like 2007. Um, That's where I live too. Okay. And recently moved to East Germantown. You're out of the city. How does yeah, it feel? I mean, I'm in. I mean, we're in Philadelphia, but it's considered America's first suburb. Oh, really? Uh, That's crazy. It is. Uh, there's a lot of history here. There was a second White House here at one point. Really? Like right down the street, when Philadelphia was a capital, Washington yeah. moved his family here to escape the pandemic. Get out, really? Yeah, full circle. So, how does the conversation start where we decide this is going to be the end of Dillinger? Uh, there really wasn't much of a conversation and (laughs) (laughs) 
It was kind did of you bit- just, Did you just get a call one day and they're like, hey, uh, in 2017, it's done. Bye. I mean, at that point, this is when like, and I say this lovingly, but that was like when communication in Dillinger was, if not dysfunctional, at least weird. Yeah. Uh, and Now, why is that? Were people not getting along or was it just too much time together? Or uh, Yes. so uh you know the conversation is mostly just like a bunch of like kicking this idea around and like oh ben says this and greg thinks this and well liam kind of feels like this and billy you know so then it was kind of just like okay this is just happening like it was out in the press so then we just kind of went along with it and there were times where i was like yeah this is a great idea and then other times where i was like we're gonna stop doing this why you know, like you get off stage after a really good show and you're like, fuck yeah, wait, what? You know, it yeah. fe- and to me, it felt like I was like going to see a like dying relative in a hospital every night. There was like a part of me that I was going to visit every night and like say goodbye to. Yeah, and it was like this slow motion thing. There was also this like excitement of like, ah, oh, you know, I get to do this like, you know, so, f- you know, I can count it now. And there's like a finite number, and I like things that have an ending. You know, you can kind of have like a nice story arc and make your own narrative if you want. Yeah, and I think you guys did it perfectly. Stories have to have a beginning and an end. When things just go on endlessly, sometimes it's not the greatest, but I think Dillinger went out, you know, on top. Yeah, that was how, That I mean, no no regrets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was, it, it was exactly the way it should have been yes um and yeah i mean there was very little that i would change about any of that uh dismount so how did you feel during those last set of shows was it like a whirlwind of emotions and i i'm so glad that my friend got in touch with me and we went because it was my first time seeing you guys in a long time and it, and it was incredible i think someone like jumped from the top level of uh, Terminal 5 when I was there. like Sounds like something Greg would do or Ben. Uh, <laughs> sounds like something that would happen at a Dillinger show. Greg did that too, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah like you said, it was um, a lot of emotion. Uh, I, I feel like I had a decent amount of time to like get my ego in check for like mm-hmm. the eventual impact of it all. Uh, because we kind of protracted it, same goes for like finances. I kind of made sure that I was like living as simply as I could to make, you know, to give myself a cushion to, or a springboard to get somewhere else. Yes. Um, you know, and, and just trying to plan it as best as possible without planning too hard. But of course, like those days show up and like, you know, the childcare that we had arranged does not happen. And just like, I mean, of course, everything tends to fall apart when you need it to hold together oh my god yeah. um oh, yeah. when you need when you need like the most stability that's when things become the most chaotic it yeah. was a little weird you know personally that was a little weird the emotions were weird um you know it was interesting kind of navigating like the guests um and like their emotions yeah uh, as compared to your emotions and uh um, and even like every last sh- like if we would play a show for the last two years, like for most of the audience, that was the last time they were going to see us. And some people were like, it for them, it was the last show. 
And yeah. it was weird for me because I'd be like, and this is my 211th show till the end. And <laughs> um, I can't really share your deep empathy right now. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but there was a lot of uh, like imposter syndrome where I, I definitely felt like I was uh, like, have you seen that movie Inside Out? Or like, where like basically there's like oh, some yeah. kind of thing like piloting in your brain. Yeah. And I was like watching my hands and like seeing the crowd behind my hands. It was just like this sea of just like, I mean, it looked like something uh, out of like, you know, some, some stormy sea movie. Yeah. And like these people just like, ah, oh, it was just like this. It, it looked like liquid. Uh, yeah. And just undulating. And I was just like kind of tripping out and being like, dude, look at your hands. Look at what is <laughs> happening here. Where are you, right now? Bro. You know, just kind of freaking out, but in like a fun way, like kind mm-hmm. of screaming on the inside, like, ah, this is your life. What the f- <laughs> fuck is happening right now? Uh, you know, so it was cool to just kind of have those like moments of gratitude and just like appreciation for the whole thing and like really connecting with the like energy of it all, mm-hmm. you know, because I was so up in my head about playing well, but like even though it was the last time and I obviously had to give it some effort, there was also this, like, it had to be, like, a release, too. You know? Um, and there were a lot of songs that we hadn't played in a long time, so there was a lot of pressure to play things that, like, we hadn't played in forever. But also this kind of opportunity to, like, redeem myself and finally play something from, like, the calculating days that I just couldn't physically play that well Yeah. by the time we stopped playing it. So... You know, I don't know. There was a, there was a lot going on. You know, obviously all the members, all the different fans, faces. Um, you know, the people that show up out of the woodwork. It was it was intense, but it kind of felt like the end of Big Fish. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Because like you had all these guests, Mike Patton, Demetrius sure. back. Yeah. I think Brian Benoit was there too, right? Brian Benoit, Brian Benoit. However, however you pronounce it. It was heavy, uh, but you know, same thing. Like all the bass players, like me, Jeff Wood, and Adam. Um, you know, there were a couple faces that weren't there, but for the most part, like like I said, it kind of had that big fish quality. And, yeah. you know, it was weird. And I think the emotional stuff came out, like, in the days and weeks after. I think, like, people freaked out in their own weird ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I think everybody was, like, really sensitive. Um, I don't know. I... I it was complicated. It was definitely a complicated time, but yeah, that it takes me a while to process things. Like for example, last year I was in this play and I had a huge part. I had to I spent months and months and months learning lines every week in rehearsals. Uh it was my life for I don't know, almost a year. And then we did the play and then it was over. And I went home and I had I had nothing to do. I didn't have many friends at the time. Uh, you know, it was a weird stage of my life, I guess. And I it was summertime and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do now? So I pretty much just sat inside and played old first person shooter games, which was cool. I mean, but but like how how did you process it after after it was really done after those shows? I mean, some of it is like I don't process it. Um, you know, or like I do have like a meditation practice. I do have a yoga practice and, uh, I do consciously try to like work through it. Um, you know, I 
because I had so much time to think about it, like I got to say goodbye to like most people and most cities that I wanted to. Uh, you know, then, and I also kind of just had a healthy understanding of like, I am going to be emotional about some of this stuff. Uh, but then I just kind of stayed busy. Um, I really turned into my, you know, more attention into my family. I had a Zusa to kind of springboard off, uh, at least keeping me like creatively motivated. John Frum did, you know, similar things and is still, you know, we're, we're kind of slowly writing, but writing actively. Uh, mm -hmm. So I just kind of stayed busy, you know, like, like I was saying earlier, like I just have always had uh, like a stir crazy, like too many hobbies personality. So yes. I, I, you know, I got really into like my house and like fixing things up and renovating there. Like I said, we just moved. There's work to be done here. Um, I had a lot of like personal, um, hardships in like the end of last year uh so mm -hmm. that kind of like ate up a, a lot of my time and attention kind of working through all of that so you want to share any of those personal hardships here today on the podcast uh i don't know um <laughs> Here, I'll I'll give you one. Now, I I used to I, my whole life used to be completely insane, and I talk about it on the podcast. I used to drink and party and do drugs way too much. So there was, I finally got my act together a couple months before your last set of shows, and it was like waking up from a fifteen-year coma. Right. So that's that's why I reconnected with a lot of the old music that I loved, and and that's if it why, was. If I had a story that connected more with what you're saying, which I appreciate and think is rad, and yes. congratulations, um, that's not really my story necessarily. Not that I didn't actually have a lot of time where I'm like, I'm gonna just kind of dry dock for a little while and <laughs> right, uh, and just okay. kind of figure some shit out, you know, and realize yes. that like this isn't necessarily serving me, at least not right now, right. Um, no, it was it was a little bit more complicated and personal Understood. than that, and not yeah. that I don't want to. Sh it's it's complicated because like it's it's something that like to the people I've discussed this with, uh, I have like an incredible sense of humor and like it's really like I can be super vulnerable and lighthearted. But there's also this side of it where like if I start talking about it, I feel like I'm gonna sound like a PSA. And oh yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. See, no, I'm with you. Now I'm very careful about what exactly i discuss because i don't i just sound don't like... even know what to say and i don't necessarily want to be like um i don't want somebody and not to say i don't want to help people if i can because mm -hmm. i'm sure i'm sure i should talk about it but there's also this part of me where i'm just like i don't know i don't know if it's i don't know if it's like because i'm humble or lazy but i just <laughs> kind of don't want it's almost like i just want to disable comments and i can't once i say something yeah that, it's I, something I actually, I, and, and the other thing is like it's something that like in some ways i'm still processing so yes, sure. i don't really know if now is the, there's like different milestones with it that i'm like oh okay cool uh but in some ways i'm like i don't really know if now is even the time to get into it and you know i and i hate to say it too but like six months ago it was like one of the only things i could think about and right now i'm just kind of like Oh yeah, oh that I've just oh, kind that of like happened. Yeah, right. I, and not to yeah. say it wasn't like holy shit, that was a life changing moment. But 
Yeah. It, it time just kind of feels more and more like a weird simulation, and uh, especially lately. Is yeah, it, I yeah. and I'll say I I you know what I can say about it is it's definitely moved me from like a, um, you know, an atheist who relapses on LSD to somebody who actually like gives gives God a little bit more room in my life in some ways. Yeah. Isn't so that weird? Uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Keith and I had this conversation not that long ago where, uh, I was, uh, I, I kind of did what you were talking about, kind of like dry docked for a little bit and just really kind of wanted to take stock of what I had and where, where I was going in terms of trajectory and stuff. And, uh, one of the things I, I've always been like, uh, and for a while I was I was kind of like an outspoken like I can't believe you go to church that blah, blah, and like I was uh, I was in I was argumentative to the point where like most people would just be like all right that's enough like and uh, one of the things that uh, I, I was looking through and talking about with Keith was like you know like just acknowledgement of like that there's something out there some type of higher power out there well, and yeah I mean I, I guess I've come to a point. Uh, you know, and th- this is a really we could unpack like a whole other conversation here, and, and not that I don't do. want to get into it, but I, you know, I kind of can't go all the way into this. But I will say, um, you know, I, I guess I got to a place where I've always believed in something, or at least mm-hmm. like, you know, I was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, I enjoyed going to Catholic school, at least for the sake that, like, although I thought, like, some of it was a waste of time, there was a certain amount of, like, reverence and um, tradition and ceremony. It wasn't like anybody was up there, like, murdering anybody on the on the altar when I was there. So I know there was yes. a tradition of it, and I know there were things that were happening behind the scenes. But what I was, you know, witness to through also with, like, my grandparents and their practices was, like, kind of interesting or at least uh you know i learned a lot of values driven things that i don't think i would have learned as easily in other places so i have like a foundation of it i was always into theology i've always been like a seeker as soon as i like dropped acid for the first time i like freaked out and you know in the best way and i feel like that like really changed my life for the better and i got really um focused on like what i wanted and Mm -hmm. like more in touch with my body and nature and so anyway, recently it's like it hasn't even been like going back to Catholicism so much as just like being open to, um, you know, lately it's been kind of like Vedic scripture stuff mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of getting into the idea that like science has its place and science is really good at labeling something and telling me what something is and maybe how it works to the best of our understanding. But until science can like hand me a seed that it created out of nowhere that I can put in the ground that'll grow this other thing that will then grow this other fruit that will then have like a thousand more seeds inside of that one fruit until (laughs) Mm -hmm. science can like actually do that from scratch. Then I'm going to save room for the fact that there's probably a bunch of shit that we don't quite understand. And our way of thinking about things and like, even that like we're evolving right now, like who's to say we're not devolving. Um, I, I, don't really know so i'm i'm open to questioning quite a bit and uh but also finding a little bit more like structure in my life and even my family's life having uh a little bit more purpose to my sadhana <laughs> absolutely i feel you yeah you know i i hear you i hear you i i, I grew up roman catholic too 12 years of catholic school so i'm firmly 
still digging my heels in the ground against the idea of like God is a person I have to answer to and I have problems with authority anyway so that that's a whole other thing I was going to say um you know I think that that's like the the Judeo Christian version of God and like but if we just like stick with the Jesus part yeah it's actually not so bad you know like all you know like if you take the best of what he said with which is basically just like love your neighbor yeah uh, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. If you see yep. this guy without a coat, like give him a coat. If you see him hungry, feed him. You know, if you see him lonely, go check his. You know, check on him. And and ultimately, the guy was like the nicest dude in the world and got crucified for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, so no good deed goes unpunished. I'm not saying that the Catholic Church itself uh, doesn't have things to answer to, but like, oh yeah. You know, people like Jesus or St. Francis, like if, whether they existed or not, their story, I'm totally down with it. That's pretty, pretty cool history to have or pretty cool story. Or some, I mean, if you're going to idolize something, like that's not a bad place to start. St. Francis was my confirmation saint. He was the man. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I have a St. Francis tattoo, and uh, my wife and I both went to a St. Francis Assisi in two different cities. So uh, oh, we shit. find that kind that's of... Fate. There was a stand-up comedian that uh, he passed away about six or seven years ago now. His name was Patrice O'Neill, and he was talking about his struggle with faith. And he was like, look, I don't care what you think about religion in general. He's like, if Jesus was real, he was a bad dude. Like He was a, he was a, like, a crazy dude to be able to say, like, I'm going to die for humanity. He, and Patrice's quote was something like, I wouldn't take a hard pinch for most right. people. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and this dude just was like, yo, I'm going to take it for everybody. Um, and his whole thing was like, yo, this guy's a, he's a bad motherfucker. Like, this guy's a badass dude. Like, and I, I think one of the things that I, I enjoyed about um, at least re- the religion that, like, I got um, when I was in high school was it was more the study of what theologians thought you said you went to LaSalle, right? Yeah, yeah. What was LaSalle's um, like lineage? So it was uh, founded by this guy named St. John Baptiste de LaSalle. Um, and he was a French missionary that uh, he, he converted a bunch of people. But his, his big thing was he wanted to work uh, with young men to be able to instill in them Christian values so that they would then – start families and perpetuate the same ideas that, you know, uh, you know, do unto others, like, you, you know, golden rule type stuff. But his whole thing was to start schools, and much like the Jesuits. Like, it was right. the idea okay. of w- our job is to educate. This is why we're here. So uh, I remember specifically my one class I had in religion, I think it was my sophomore year, was we read uh, St. Augustine's Confession, Confessions, and we read a huge chunk of Summa Theologica by St. Thomas More. And I remember thinking that one of St. Thomas More's uh, initial like things that kind of struck me was he had this thing called uh, the prime mover theory. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, if we're, if we're all moving and we're humanity and humanity has started from if, – even if you believe in evolution, what was the initial move that set everything off? The demiurge? Isn't that yeah. like one of those yeah. ideas too? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like what the painter without the painting, or you know, there is, there has to be some kickstart, or there just isn't, and that's where you just kind of realize, like, I the hardware that I have is not capable of understanding this fully. 
I might be able to feel it in my heart, you know, and I might be able to feel that, you know, I might be able to blast out on enough DMT to really, or, you know, get deep (laughs) enough. There's a, so I I watched this thing. um, This was a Nova special a few years back and it was called uh, the theory of everything. And the whole idea was that um, uh, Isaac Newton came up with these gravitational laws and they work perfectly for things like, Oh, you're talking about, are you talking about the universe? universal field theory where like yes. it all, there, so, there is no universal field theory because physics laws and um the laws of part like so particle physics and and don't they don't match yeah they just don't right. jive so like if you apply rules to these big things like planets and then you take the like the niels bohr model and like go okay well there's like this kind of chaotic things happening particles can be too well that's where i can tie this all back in on the dillinger ironworks record we have songs that are when acting as a particle and when acting as a wave oh yeah that's a that's a that's a great if you, if you haven't ever YouTube that like what that looks like why things like the, how things can be in two places at once and why we can't explain it it, it is it is phenomenal it, it it literally will take your breath away because you're just like oh no <laughs> like we- so and and if you like add the um you know the God layer on that yeah you know and not just look at it from simply the antiseptic science point of view it's a pretty powerful concept but and they've been talking about it forever in science you know we think it's like this new discovery but like if you go into the rig vedas they describe the atom and in the srimad bhagavatam they you know predict the buddha like thousands of years before he shows up i was going to say too about high school like the jesuits what i appreciated about them is like we had to read you know some of the some of the kind of things that you're talking about but we also got to read like black elk speaks and Siddhartha and you know some other stuff that I consider to be pretty eye-opening to other ways of thinking about faith and religion that I wouldn't expect a Christian organization to promote yeah no I uh we uh, I was exposed to things like Albert Camus Frederick Nietzsche oh yeah and, and it was like wait a minute I thought you guys were like they taught me how to think I appreciate it yeah. Oh no. And it was great because um, the the teachers, especially, I had this one guy. His name. There was two brothers that taught there, and they both taught English literature. Um, the McCabe brothers. Um, so I had Edward McCabe my freshman year, and I had Bernie McCabe my junior year. Um, and they were just these people. They were they, they were like the nuttiest dudes in the world. They were hilarious, and they were just. But they forced you to really think about what was happening and the overlaying of like, so when we read Lord of the Flies, um, we then had to read all the things about uh, Sigmund Freud's idea of id, ego, superego and have to kind of like, all right, so what does this say about humanity? When we leave these kids on an island, what is the id saying here? Like, what does this mean? And we're like, oh my God. Like as a, you know, a 14 year old riding home on the bus, I remember sitting there being like, there's so much yeah. shit I don't understand. Oh, yeah. I don't know shit about shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel like that right now. But no, this is this is good. I like to see I like to see really where everybody is at because, you know, I was out of it for so long. I feel like I've really only started growing up in the past 3 years. I spent so much time alone, isolated from people because I was so sensitive and I couldn't handle any criticism or any rejection or anything and just I it feel like an awakening in the in the last three years, and it's like 
this podcast is part of that because, you know, Tommy and I reconnected. Well, I mean, we've been steady friends for a long time, but like just going to shows again and talking about old times and reconnecting with all the old music, you know, we got the idea to do this thing. And I, I like to think in some way that this could maybe help people too, because when I was all by myself, all fucked up all the time, like I listened to Howard Stern and like Howard Stern were my friends, or I listened to This American Life, like This American Life were my friends, like podcast and radio were like my only friends. So if this can be that for somebody else, then that's that's the ultimate gift. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just really nice when you like uh, like to be able to talk to like this is the thing is like I I picture when I think of Keith at sixteen seventeen years old, it's him wearing a, a an XL. Uh, Dillinger escape plan under the running board hoodie, like, and and now we're talking <laughs> to a member of it, and it's it's shit. It's what twenty five years later, like it, it it's insane now to, like to think <laughs> about that. But I think the biggest thing for us is that like, we always try to have something through, like the 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 theme that we run through with this is that like you know if you are someone that's struggling or someone that's you think you're alone with this you're not or if you think you're that weird kid like because i spent a lot of time especially at LaSalle, where i was like i'm the weird kid that listens to like punk rock music like i was that kid and it's like you're not alone like you're not that kid by yourself you don't live in isolation there are other people out there but it does take um you know, I, I read this book. Uh, I think the guy – I forget his uh, – his first name's Ryan, but the, the book is called The Obstacle is the Way. Um, and it's based on a series of meditations from Marcus Aurelius. And his whole thing is like, look, trials and struggles in your life bring about the best parts of you. And in the moments where you're there, it seems dark and it seems shitty and it seems horrific. But those are the things that truly test your mettle, the things that bring out the best part of you. Well, boys, that was that was that was good. Those those are the moments I live for on this podcast, honestly. But I'm but I'm going to shift back to another musical related question now for Liam. So, Liam, in in my mind, Dillinger is on like their own level in the similar way as like Meshuggah and that it's such a unique sound. It's just it's undeniably yours. So, when you hear another band replicating that sound, it's very obvious. Like, do you ever hear another band doing a Dillinger-esque thing and think like, yeah, I, I did that? Um, I mean, I recognize in some ways like, okay, that sounds familiar or, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I think I notice it more like in my own projects, like when I'm working with other people who were Dillinger fans and they just gotcha. kind of naturally yeah. do something and I'm like, nope, can't go there. Or gotcha. like, yeah. <laughs> or like I'm not pursuing that idea because I've already done it. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, I mean, some of it is like, I mean, who am I to judge? And it's not really mine anyway. Like I said, I kind of feel like, you know, of course there were other people and Ben was such a strong uh, songwriting force that, you know, maybe he felt like that more than I did. Uh, but for the most part, I'm mm-hmm. just kind of like, okay, that's just where you're at and... Um, you know, I'm sure other people hear certain things in our music here and there and can call it out, you know, be like, oh, that's a, you know, dead guy or a faith no more. Or, I don't yeah. know, you know, whether they're right or not, you yeah. know, is, is, you know, subjective, but, uh, no, I mean, I, I guess I, I try not to be, um, uh, that ego minded about it. 
Um, I hope they work through it and get to something that's, you know, I hope it's just kind of like a passing thing. You know, a good artist borrows, a great artist steals. I think it's... <laughs> yes. That's how I think it works. Like, you, you, you start with something you really like, and you pretty much replicate that, and then as you continue on it... Yeah, you steal the bike and you repaint it, and it's yours. <laughs> so how do you look back on the overall legacy of Dillinger? Are you happy? Are you fond? Yeah. I mean, I, I, so many things... You know, so many of my goals were, you know, shattered uh, through that band. Um, I... <laughs> You know, in, in good ways, you know, obviously, I mean that in like, I achieved a lot with the band. Certainly there were sacrifices made in my life to do the band. Yes. Um, you know, I missed funerals and weddings and birthdays and, um, you know, probably broke a lot of hearts and, you know, had people worry about me for yeah. a long time. Um, so uh, there's all of that. But I also like met my wife on the road and we conceived our daughter in Australia and, um you know, I have a lot of, you know, brothers, you know, and I have these amazing memories and this kind of confidence, um, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of hubris that I have to work out, but, um, you know, just so much experience, so much gratitude, you know, I'm really just like, I hate, this is going to sound super corny, but like hashtag blessed. I really had like fucking cool life and, you know, I, I, worked for it but only through the grace of my teachers and you know the opportunities and the privileges that i've had so uh yeah i look back on it and think it was pretty cool um i don't you know there's also you know looking forward it's kind of like there's always going to be like the fugazi botch fan in me that feels like it's totally cool if this is it um you know, I, I played that yeah. last show like it was my last show. Uh, and, you know, I feel like I played every show like it was my last show, but there there was one that was the last show. Uh, I don't know what circumstances would, you know, drive us to do it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel really happy that it was what it was, and I think all of us played that as if, you know, even if there's something in the back of your head, like some, any of us could die tomorrow. So, you know, I hope that you mm -hmm. all played it that way. <laughs> Keith, that was one of my uh, closing thoughts last time. That was like the yeah. <laughs> oh right, yeah. I was, I was like, oh, I was like, oh man, he's gonna get Tommy going <laughs> no, again. No, no, I, I stepped we, back from we, it. I knew it. <laughs> we had, we had a whole rap on like tomorrow could be the last day. So yeah, you gotta die like you're gonna live, you know, for ten seconds. So let's talk about some of your new projects. We've got Azusa, right? Did that start around when Dillinger was ending? Were you already working on it? As Dillinger was kind of tapering out, that was tapering on. So, yeah, I mean, creatively, once I was done recording the dissociation stuff, I was, you know, pretty focused on the Azusa stuff. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we just put out our second record in April. Uh, still writing now, I guess uh i guess working on a third something you know obviously the pandemic kind of sidelines any touring plans so it was weird to put out a record in april of 2020 so a lot of uncertainty there i don't know when i'm going to get back to oslo to track anything or see my friends um and you know like i said devin townsend uh i was supposed to be on tour with that i uh, you know there's some 
talk of making some stuff happen, but uh, it's really hard to predict what that would be like. So I'm just in a holding pattern. I'm like teaching lessons and, uh, you know, playing and recording a little bit here and there and trying to just, you know, I like practicing. Uh, I like like rehearsing and being like, I'm going to, you know, learn how to play through these changes, even if it's abysmal. You know, I don't really think I'm the strongest improviser. So that's something that I'm trying to uh, expand upon. So when you teach, how uh, now I don't even know how I would begin to teach because I don't know the name of like one note or chord or like I, I play solely by ear. I mean, you can teach some things, but you're just kind of trying to teach this person how to, you know, find their muse and their voice. Um, and of course, you want to teach enough technique where you're like, OK, this, you know, you know how to get a sound out of this thing without hurting yourself for a long period of time. You ever scare a student and you're like, okay, we're going to start with 43% burnt? I'm so uh, soft. <laughs> Arguably yeah, you too have soft. To be. Yeah, I mean, I'll challenge somebody if they want to be challenged, but uh, for the most part, I'm just kind of, you know, getting people excited and motivated to play. You know, and it's a lot of older people who are just like, I gave this up when I had kids and I just want to play. Yeah, is that I was going to say, do you see a lot of people that come to you when they've like plateaued and they're like, all right, I've been playing for a while and I just feel like I'm because the other thing is like, we don't have to like, you don't have to be my student for like 10 years. Like if you just want to come in for like three lessons and hear what I have to say and dip out, like that's cool. It's not a commitment, um, you know, and like take what I'm saying. And if you think I gave you enough to work on for a year, which I might, you know, call me in a year. And if, if not, just send me a text and say hi every once in a while and. Yeah, I mean, I keep it pretty casual. It doesn't have to be, like, this formal... You know, some people just, like, send me their demos, and they're just like, yo, just... Uh, I'll I'll pay to get on Skype for a little bit and just, like, talk through this, you know, and just be like, what do you think, and where could I do better, you know, in some capacity? That's a good idea. See, I'm over here writing music by myself, like, you know, spitting into the void, and I, I could be... I could be Skyping with Lehman being like, <laughs> I mean, me. it's if you trust me, you know, um, you know, but I'm just going to try to help you figure it's like going to music therapy. It's like, well, what do you think? I don't really even need to do much of the talking. I'm just going to kind of guide you um, to ask certain questions of yourself. Find out where your roadblocks are. Liam, can I ask you something about uh, how did you get hooked up with Devin Townsend? Because he, I, I've seen, I, like I watched for a long time and I was trying to like, you know, be like a shredder and just play guitar all the time. Like I watched a lot of his videos. The dude is fucking hysterical. Like, he's crazy. He literally seems like a crazy person. That's, and first of all, like when you see him play guitar, he's a really good guitar player. But I don't know if a lot of people know this. He was lead vocals on a Steve Vai record in 92 or 93, I think. He is a phenomenal singer. Like he's he's just a machine all around. Um, we had the same booking agent. Uh, Dillinger and Devin had the same booking agent, so we ended up on a couple festivals together. Not many, you know, brief interactions, but like memorable. Uh, Greg sung on one of his records, which was just like another um, way to connect the two bands. And a couple months ago, I got a Twitter DM that was just like, "Hey, uh, can we talk in like an hour?" And I guess he just remembers having some conversations and somebody, uh, Wes Hawk suggested me as somebody who could, you know, probably fill some shoes for Devin. Uh, we had a good conversation and yeah, um, you know, everything was lined up 
and COVID. <laughs> That's a shame because he, he really seems like he's like a he's like a real character. Like he seems like a fucking ho- he's so f- his he's one in seven and a half billion. That's for sure. For sure. <laughs> Here's a question for you. Now, when when you're when you've been in several bands as you have been, Liam, on this level, do you get a lot of people hitting you up like trying to start bands? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I mean, I've, there's a couple people who are very persistent. Uh, but I also encourage them to be, uh, where I'm like, hey, you know what, now's not the time, and I'm sorry, it might be two years from now, it might be a totally different project, it might be me calling you. Um, I would love to do something with you, but this isn't it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I, I've really had to learn how to, you know, adopt the idea of, like, if it's not fuck yeah, it's no. Like, there's a lot of things that I'd love to just, like, play with for a little bit or, like, play one show just because. But, you know, that's kind of just fucking with other people's time and um, and my own. So, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, it's tough. Sometimes I've had to say no to a lot of stuff that I just don't have time for because it's like I just want to make sure that I have time for the fuck yeah stuff. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, there's been a couple things where people have been like, hey, or like, hey, let's just, you know, like, hey, if you have time. And I'm like, I, I, I do and don't. Now with a, yeah, like with someone like you, I always imagine like, hey, if I was in a band, the level of Dillinger, I could really get shit done. Cause I, I had a band a couple years ago here and I could not, I dis I disbanded the band cause I could not find people to stay in it. I could not find people to stay in it. I could not find people to show up to practice. So it's just on hold indefinitely. Yeah. I mean, at this point it's kind of also like I have to, for the most part, work with professionals. Like if you haven't been playing music or like doing that a certain level, I might not be as interested because I take it so seriously that like I can't have right. like the shoebies. That's another thing that I found. Yeah. So I, I would show a guy would show up to the tryout and be able to play all the songs in one take and I'd never hear from him again. Or a guy would show up and refuse to learn the songs and I had to ask him to leave. It's tough. I mean, being <laughs> keeping a band together is difficult before you even start writing. What was the last newer band you heard that really inspired you? And by newer, I, I mean like anything after 2010. I mean, that, there's so many. Um, now I'm just kind of... That's tough. Um, I mean, I really like Bent Knee. Uh, I really like this other band, Clap Clap. It's kind of like a DJ. really like that. Uh, I like Thundercat. Like some of the... Um, like Guilty Pleasure would be like some of that, like Knower or um, Wolfpack or uh, Fearless Flyers. Like some of that like kind of turbo musician funk. So where where does your taste fall now these days? Like me, I'm a big hardcore, uh, post rock, hip hop guy. That I mean, I listen to a lot of like that kind of musiciany funk stuff. I like like the Dusty Fingers funk, like kind of Jay Dilla sample material. Um, you know, I like some new metal occasionally. Like maybe one or two records a year really like get me. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of books. Um, I end up listening to a lot of like kids music. Oh yeah. Uh, and like kind of trying to find stuff that like both my daughter will like and I will tolerate. Um, so it's sometimes like the Beatles, you know, and just like 
or just no music. Yeah, that's I'm trying to get on that level because I always have something on. Yeah, I like I like like you know every once in a while something on like Mixcloud. I'll find like some DJ set of stuff I like. Uh, Weather Report, uh, live tapes from Japan. That stuff blows my mind. Yeah, I don't know. I go back more than I stay current. Uh, occasionally, I'll hear some stuff and I, I, you know, dive in. But I don't really. I have a pretty shallow thing with most current bands. Yeah, I, I, you know, once in a while something new really grabs me, and those are the moments that I live for. When I hear like a new band and it's just right up my alley, and I find a song that I want to listen to like fifteen times in a row. You know, I still get that like tingle for you know new music. I just don't hear as much of it and. It's not as big a part of my life right now. I don't have that, like, seek it out. I don't need to get all the new releases. That's not, like, my agenda right now. I'm way more interested in parenting. It was great. I, I really like, uh, I, I think, the aspect of talking about just, uh, like, I, people's ideologies and stuff like that are, are really great. The one thing I did, I was looking up uh, when I was, like, doing research for this is that um, one of the things they talked about is you're, you're really into meditation, and I've only recently got into it probably about in the last year or so. But uh, can you just, just like talk about like what got you there and like what's your routine look like? Uh, I mean, I think I'd always kind of dabble uh, as a teenager, I guess. I don't you know, just kind of read like a, you know, a beginner Buddhism book or something and try to meditate or like if I was high, maybe I'd try to meditate a little bit. Uh, just chanting home and just anything I could do, which is better than nothing, you know. And I realize now that you know I was up in my head about whether I was doing it right, and I was probably doing it more heartfelt and for the for the best reasons and the best ways uh, than I do now. Um, so anyway, I then eventually just kind of got into yoga, which led me to transcendental meditation, uh, which I was introduced to this woman, uh, Nancy Cook through um uh why can't i think of his name right now alkaline trio then went on to blink 182 why can't i think of his name oh man he's such a great human being and i can't think of his name right now sorry i love you uh oh, anyway uh, matt skiba yeah matt skiba yes yes uh so he introduced me to her little did i know she was like at the ashram with the beatles and uh the woman who taught david lynch and howard stern and so I was like, oh, okay. And she didn't charge an arm and a leg. She took like a small donation and just was like just this sweet. I would have paid the money just to hang out and drive this woman around, which I ended up doing anyway. Um, so that was kind of my start was TM, uh, which was great and has been great. And I still use it occasionally. Um, but it just kind of goes all over the place. Sometimes I just kind of add different things. Like sometimes I'll listen to like binaural beats. But most of the time I was doing that and like white noise to tune out like backstage and bus noise. I was, pre- I was meditating a lot like before Dillinger shows. Like maybe about an hour before the show I'd meditate for 20 minutes. Um, do some like yoga stretching a lot of the time. Breathing like some pranayama exercises. If I had time. You know sometimes I'd be drinking a beer with a family member or something right before. So not saying I was a total purist, but I would most of the time I would do that. You you have to uh, you have to find a healthy thing to get yourself centered for whatever it is. Well, it's, I do that for the days that I don't. You know, I'm kind of just like it's like a bank account, and I'm just kind of making some deposits. So some days I can take some withdrawals. 
There you go. That's a good comparison. Like, yeah, like me, I used to just get annihilated all the time and I was never able to do anything. But like now I get really nervous before we do the podcast. I get nervous before I do anything, but I'll sign on early. There's this there's this bed of dramatic piano music uh, up here and I'll put that on and I'm like, OK, we're going to do this thing. Yeah. No, I mean, I, and then now I just kind of uh, if I have time, um, we'll just kind of try to drop into TM even for like five minutes. Mm hmm. Uh, I, I've been getting more into like chanting Joppa and, uh, actually like engaging my senses a little bit more by like chanting mantras as opposed to just like meditating quietly. Okay. Yeah. So that's it. That's what I've been doing a lot of is just the, the quiet meditation. And it, like I, when I started like the first month when they would talk about like, you know, like empty your thoughts and think of nothing. I would, I really seriously thought, I'm like, dude, I'm fucking killing it. Like, this is, I'm doing like six, seven minutes where I'm keeping my brain completely off. And then what I realized is like, no, you're not. Like, you absolutely are fucking not doing this. <laughs> like, I think I'm up to like, I can get a full, like, maybe 30 seconds. Of I was going to say, yeah, maybe a minute if you're lucky. You and know? it's just because your brain is like, and I you think. You can't, you it, can't stop it. So you're just trying to train it. And yeah recognizing at least observing how active your mind is yeah and how your mind and your heart are totally different i mean i've heard a great analogy where um you know again like kind of a bhagavad gita analogy would be you've got your you've got a chariot you've got five horses those are your senses the reins is your mind then there's the chariot driver which is like um you know your intelligence and then you've got the chariot which is your body you know your your uh, ego, or I'm sorry, you're like your soul. And then you've got a passenger in the chariot, which is like the super soul, which is sort of the energy that connects everybody. I don't know if that makes any sense of, at least the way I'm able to like observe my senses of being like, is it my senses just running away from me? And with my mind, I can kind of control them. Like, dude, you don't need that right now. Or like, don't, don't let that person get to you. And then you know, you can kind of from there recognize that you have like, you know, an intelligence that can control the mind. And then you've got like a soul that can actually inform the intelligence when you sit quietly enough and you ask yourself honest questions. It's it, that's really funny is like I that was actually one of the um, quotes in that the obstacle is the way book. And it, he says something like uh and you have you have power over your mind, not outside events. So once you realize this, you, you start to find the strength in that realization like that becomes the strength is like all right i can't control this other stuff i think you know all this stuff is connected like i think like yoga asana like physical yoga practice helps inform you uh, you know of like i can breathe through these difficult moments like i don't want to be in this pose right now this sucks but i realize that i'm holding my breath and if i breathe and i can work through it and like it's the same with playing bass like i realize like i would mess up difficult parts because i was holding my breath um you know so just kind of getting used to just like i'm okay with discomfort because life is suffering i may as well get used to it all of this is going to get taken away and then given back and then taken away again so i may as well just get used to it it's all impermanent but i do think i don't think it's nothing i i, I think it's more and more special every day well liam uh once again i just want to say thanks you know dillinger was one of my gateway bands into hardcore. I was hooked from the moment I saw I saw them, and you know, just so many classic songs over the years. I mean, 
Prancer is, I'm going to go ahead and say Prancer is one of the best songs ever. I'm talking ever. How do you feel about me saying that? <laughs> I, I, sure. You know, I mean, <laughs> so I just, you're entitled to your opinion. Yeah, that is my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. So I just want to thank you for your contributions. We look forward to more from Azusa. We hope you get back out on the road with them and Townsend. We, we look forward to more. So thank you so much. Th- this was really awesome. Liam, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. And folks, listen, remember to email us. Remember to subscribe to us. Remember to like us. Remember to review us. We need it. We need you. Share us. Talk about us. And continue to listen to us. So good night, everybody. And until next time.